What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the AI and Stuff podcast, casual conversations about technology. My guest this episode was Nice Aunties, the pseudonym of a Singaporean-based AI artist that uses her cultural heritage and childhood experiences growing up with 11 aunties, plus parents and grandparents, as an inspiration for an imagined reality she created called The Auntieverse, short for Auntie Universe. I'm watching one of her short videos now, all of which are generated with the aid of AI tools. I'm staring at a close-up of a wrinkled Asian woman with a cloud of gray hair leaning over a bowl of ramen noodles. Her hands are outstretched over the bowl, and from each of her fingernails sprouts a unique set of tentacles. Her hands are bejeweled with small accoutrements, gems and toys and electronics, complete with a miniature long-haired Persian cat with white fur. Now the scene changes. An older woman holds up her hand to reveal it has 100 fingers shooting out in every direction. And now we see a wall of fingernail tentacles available for purchase. The video continues. There are close-ups of women's nails with small dioramas like a woman ironing or a frog emerging from a hole. A long row of bright green kimono dragons gives faceless hands a manicure. A giant foot sits atop a soapy platform being washed by an army of women wearing pastels. In the background lies an infinite shelf of toe caps, adorned with bright colors of every shade. We are, of course, at the Auntie Nail Spa. If that description intrigued you, know that I did not even begin to do justice to its bizarre beauty and liveliness. Saying that Nice Auntie's work is weird is like saying that Usain Bolt can run fast. It's undeniably true, but does not even begin to describe the situation. One-word descriptions also miss the true nature of what's at play. In her work, there is depth, subtlety, narrative, drama, respect, freedom, hope, universality. Before listening to our conversation, I would recommend pausing and checking out Nice Auntie's art. I'll put a link in the description of this podcast, but you can find her on both Instagram and Twitter slash X under the handle Nice Aunties. That's the word nice, N-I-C-E, and the word aunties, like your parents' siblings, A-U-N-T-I-E-S, Nice Aunties, all one word. I spoke with Nice Aunties while she was exhibiting her work at the Zona Maco Festival in Mexico City in partnership with the gallery Patricia Conde. I'm realizing now that my year of college Spanish did not stick. This was part of a group show sponsored by Fellowship AI, a collective that helps support AI artists. She also recently completed an online solo show with Fellowship that included more than a thousand still images of her work that she curated, many of them selling through Fellowship's online platform, daily.xyz. We spoke about her inspiration, the AI tool she uses, and how her artistic process has changed over time, and about the criticism of AI art from traditional artists. I had a great time speaking with her, and I think you'll enjoy our conversation. Nice aunties, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, James. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for thanks for being on. I know you're in uh, Mexico City right now for a solo show, I believe, of your AI art. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and how it's going? Oh, it's actually a group show with Fellowship and the gallery Patricia Conde, which is a local gallery. Um, so it's a partnership with Fellowship and it's curated by Alejandro Cartagena. So basically eight fellowship artists have got our work in prints at Zona Marco, which is the largest art fair in Latin America. Wow, that's incredible. Um, talk a little bit about the fellowship for those who might not be familiar with it. 
Oh, Fellowship is a online gallery focused on NFTs. Um, they started out as collectors, actually collectors of photography. So they wanted to collect great photography in the form of NFTs, and then they started to gather and curate the best artists for post photography on Web three, and then gradually、uh, move to AI videos. So I am part of the、uh, AI videos program called Daily X Y Z. But recently, I'm starting to go into physical prints as well with them, which is what we are exhibiting at in Mexico City right now. Yeah, how many artists are associated with Fellowship now, roughly? Well, it's growing. So now it's between sixty to seventy artists. Okay, and it's only、uh, video. There's no still images associated with the with the Fellowship program.、Um, they have done two. Previous drops called post、uh, perspectives, which is about still images. So if you check out fellowship dot x y z,、um, you can see those past exhibitions and drops.、Um, so they were mainly doing、uh, still images actually until August last year, where they started their video program, because AI video is very new in the market right now. The work you're exhibiting in Mexico City are still images. But as a digital artist, a lot of your work so far has been short videos. What are your thoughts on the artistic process for those two different mediums?、Uh, that's a great question. You know, I think it's about the length of time you take to perceive the artwork. So in the because my process with videos, me making videos, is I always start with the image. So I make an image and then I animate it and then. A sequence of these footage come together to become a video. So it's about a big narrative, you know. So each each image, animated image, you only perceive it for a second or two seconds, and then it's sort of strung together to form a big story. So the experience is very different. And then there's also sound editing and voiceovers and music. And as for images, still images,、um, people can take as long as they want to study the image, right? So you sort of have to fit the entire narrative into one image. So therefore, the details, the layering, the composition, there's a lot more care and attention paid to it. I would say. Yeah, and most of your work, at least as I've seen it online, previously has been more around the video than the images. I think you've done a few images here and there, but it sounds like this most recent. Show was more than a hundred still images, which I I think is probably the. I mean, you can、oh, correct. Oh, there's a thousand images. A thousand. My solo show. Oh my gosh, a thousand images. So that's that's quite the transition. <laughs> how, how long did it take you, by the way, to create a thousand images? Well, you know,、um, I know、uh, you said that you've seen my AI video works, but actually, when I started AI, it was in January last year. Between January to July, all I did was make images, and、uh, by then I would have done about forty thousand images. My word. Okay. And then from July,、um, it's like the program Runway ML released their text to video and also image to video programs. So I started experimenting with this new release. That's how I began my AI video creations. You know, so in the meanwhile. I'm still making images because you have to make an image before you animate it. That's my process anyway. So my project, the 1,000 images drop a few days ago, 
was basically my accumulation of what I've done for the whole year because it's a world-building project. I, I actually we actually called it um, the anti-verse, it's like the anti-universe. So it's everything that constitutes this world: the cities, um, the social life, the fashion, the food, the beauty, everything. <laughs> That's incredible. So these thousand images were kind of like I guess built up over time as you've been working in the background while yes. releasing um, videos you didn't create a thousand images just for this show no but many of them I did develop it so there are many ongoing themes that I've been exploring so I have maybe like remake an image like three to five times as I keep regenerating on the same concept to get as because AI technology has also improved from early last year to now. So I also, you know, wanted to improve on the quality of the image. So yes, many of the 1000 images were recreated, but some of them were actually from aeons ago, like from January or April last year. Most of your work is pretty vibrant with color, but I did see a few black and white images that you had posted online. Um, these were of the, the, the ones I saw in particular were of the aunties with the ginormous hair, uh, which I loved. Um, so yeah, how do you think about uh, your creative process in terms of making an image or a video that's vibrant with color versus something that's, you know, black and white and a little bit more muted in color, but still tells a story? So my inspiration um, comes from everywhere. Um, about the black and white images, um, last year I picked up a book. It's called Natural Enemies of Books, A Messy History of Women in Printing and Typography. And I was instantly drawn to this um, book and I sort of read about it. And the disturbing thing is um, it's about women in the 1920s in the printmaking business. And there was a book historian who classified women along with the other enemies of books, like damp, dust, dirt, bookworms, callous readers, borrowers, book stealers, book ghouls, etc. So I was like so emotionally affected by what I read that I used AI to make a series of images of women with ginormous hair in this black and white 1920s um, scenarios. In the printmaking business, just going about doing their book binding and work in the publishing houses. So big hair because of um, big personalities and presence when they're actually doing all the work, but not credited, but instead sort of insulted by book historians. That's, that's how it came about, these black and white images. And they happen to form one chapter of my 1000 images show, The Antique. <laughs> So that's how, that's the background. That's fascinating. As you described your thought process and the themes of that chapter of your work, it really reminded me of some of the other themes you've woven throughout the Antiverse. Tell us about the Antiverse project and how it came about and what the goal of the project is. Yeah, so the Antiverse um, is a world-building art project about anti-culture. So anti-culture is a prevalent um, phenomena in, in Southeast Asia and generally in Asian communities um, about a set of behaviors that will, that will cause you to be labeled an auntie. So an auntie does not necessarily mean a blood relative. It could be an older woman or anybody 
men, women, or everybody in between who exhibits anti-behavior, which generally means um, being old-fashioned, gives you unsolicited comments, very naggy, and uh, yeah. generally deemed um, negative, not in a good light. Yeah. So the antiverse is uh, my attempt to portray these aunties in a very endearing, um, lighthearted way. So, I mean, they give unwanted comments because they care, right? And then they they call you fat, but at the same time, they give you lots of food, you know, to feed you out of love and and care. So I wanted to show that side of the story. Yeah. And another theme I've heard you talk about in other interviews is that your work is a kind of commentary on ingrained repression. So aunties can feel, you know, repressed by society and it stifles their dreams. But your work imagines a kind of whimsical, vibrant world where aunties can fulfill their dreams and their desires and just be weird and wild. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's not just society, it's also family and culture, like generations of Chinese upbringing and then, you know, grandparents passing it down to parents and then to my uh, aunties. So, you know, I remember from personal experience, one auntie wanting to go to church and um, having a Western religion is seen is deemed to be a betrayal to Chinese families. It seems to be a common sentiment at that period in time. And I remember my auntie wanting to go so badly, she had a mental breakdown. That's one example. And then I have another auntie who wanted to go to Japan and spend a lot of time there, but couldn't because of um, what her parents thought um, and also a lot of uh, opinions you know, from the family. And then my, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, she was bedridden for 20 years. She had dementia. And, and she spent, prior to that, she spent her entire life looking after her eight children. She had no sort of um, career of her own. It was all about other people and not herself. I, I just felt like there's so much more to what they wanted to do and what they could have been, you know. And yeah, and through this project, I therefore imagine an alternate uh, reality for people to freely express themselves and do whatever they want. I'm sure your aunties have seen some of your work. Has your art changed your relationship with your aunties at all? No, not really. I mean, they are very interesting, open people. Um, well, my mother and my family, they saw my work on Facebook, which is where friends and families are. And they don't quite understand it. Um, I've received comments like, where did you find all these old people to model for you? You know, they thought they were real photographs. And beyond that, they were just like, okay, it's nice. So it hasn't changed. We are, it's still the same. But, but rather, I've heard stories and reactions from aunties outside of my family, which are really interesting and encouraging, like people wanting to pick up AI after they saw my work. Um, just yesterday, at the Zona Marco Fair, an auntie uh, who is a traditional artist saw my prints and she was so fascinated. She wanted to go learn more about AI. That's interesting. Has that been a common reaction to your art that when people see it, they want to start adopting these new AI tools and use them for their own art? Well, I've heard um, quite a bit of uh, stories about older women or older men who saw my art and wanted to try out AI. They were inspired. But on Instagram, social media, generally, the comments 
direction have been mixed. So you have, say, 60% of people who are very positive and supportive and think it's incredible. And you have 20% of people thinking, you know, the artist must have taken some drugs or mushrooms. And then you also have the rest of the people who are anti-AI. Yeah, mixed reactions. Yeah, your art is very... um... I don't know. I describe it as weird, but in a good way. Um, and I should tell you, by the way, I, I, I know we communicated a little bit before this uh, interview, but I haven't told you this. My, I showed one of your uh, photos to my mom or one of your videos to my mom because she's into kind of, um, I guess, offbeat uh, art that's a little weird and surreal. And she's uh, an artist herself and and exhibits wow. some of her, her work in local galleries uh, where she lives in Texas. Um, but yeah, she she loved your art. She said it's so cool with, uh, I think she had like six exclamation points. Um, and she's obviously an older woman. So yeah, she definitely connected with it and thought it was pretty um, interesting. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, of course. I also wanted to ask was this idea of the Antiverse a natural fit and something you knew you wanted to pursue as soon as you started exploring AI tools? Or was it something that evolved over time? Well, close. In the start, when I started my Instagram, I, wa- I knew I wanted to do, to do anti-culture. So that's why it's called Nice Aunties. Um, but the structure back then was very different. I wanted to do a club. It's called Club 33 in an alternate universe where aunties who are these like interdimensional beings would gather at the club to tell stories, to share their adventures. Um, that's why the first few posts in my Instagram are about tardigrades, you know, because it's about the aunties visiting the microscopic world and encountering all these tardigrades. And then coming back to the club to tell the story. So each post is supposed to be about what the auntie shared at the club. But then as I started to make more and more artwork, uh, it made sense that it is of a much bigger world-building project. You know, especially when um, cities came into the picture and you have more spaces and interiors involved. For listeners that aren't aware, tardigrades are these like microscopic creatures that are known for being very robust. I think they can like go into hibernation with no food or water for 10 years or something and then be reanimated. They're also pretty interesting looking. There are pictures you can find online where scientists took photos with a microscope and tardigrades are kind of cute. They, they kind of look like tiny bears. Yeah, I love tardigrades. They're like so cool, so cool looking. Let's talk a little bit more about your creative process and artistic background. For starters, when did you first discover AI tools and start playing around with them? Oh, in um, the end of 2022, I started to see on Instagram um, some very interesting looking images. Like, they're just fascinating. And they look very finished and polished. And I was wondering, oh my God, where did these images come from? And I saw the hashtag midjourney. And of course, I didn't know what it was. And I started to do a bit of research during my holidays, my um, end of year holidays. And on 1st of January, I went to the website and uh, seriously looked at it. And I, I signed up and didn't stop since then. And uh, everyday creation of uh, artwork using AI. And it's just amazing. It's just like you key in some words and then you get some visuals. And do you have uh, like an artistic 
background outside of these AI images that you think, I don't know, drew you to AI art or helped you be successful with AI art? Well, when I was little, I used to doodle a lot. I drew a lot, just like all children do, I believe. And I used to make up stories about uh, everyday life, you know. Um, but afterwards, I was uh, went into architecture. So I've been in the architecture in the industry for about 20 years. And uh, I wouldn't say that I was an artist in a traditional way. I only started creating art as you see it when I started using AI one year ago. So it wasn't until a year ago that you started learning about digital art and AI and also more traditional tools like video editing and sound design. Uh, yes, yes. That's the great thing about AI. I think it lowers the barrier to learning. And because it's um, so fast in generating output, you can actually squeeze a lot into the same time frame. So say traditionally, um, if somebody can make an artwork in a month, with AI, you can make hundreds of images in a day. And through that process, you iterate and you learn. So I would say um, the learning process is compressed and it has become very efficient. How much do you think prompting matters for generating good AI art? If you go online, you know, there are a lot of prompting guides, not just for text to image tools, but also for large language models like ChatGPT. And there's a lot of discussion about how to optimize prompts. And some people I think have prompts, they kind of consider their secret sauce. So do you think prompting matters that much? And how much do you have to play around with prompts to get the images that you want? Well, you know, asking that question is the same as asking how important do you think communication is with your team if you want to get your team to do something in a traditional office. So, you know, prompting is basically the language you use to communicate with the program, the machine. So um, to get a good prompt is you need to experiment and iterate a lot. So basically, I do that for every new image. I would change the prompt until it looks right. There are some very basic prompt structures you can find online. I always start with that and then start to switch words around, move them around. You get different results. And say for one video, I will have at least 25 to 30 prompts to get to what you see. And I remember reading online somewhere that it can take you up to 30 hours to create a video. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The quickest, you know, to get a video, half a day at least. It's, it depends on the complexity and the length of the video. So I've done anything from a few hours to a month. Um, the, the longest one was for a music video because uh, there was a client and then you have to follow the uh, specific instructions. So that typically takes longer. What was it like working with a, with a client and generate, helping them generate AI art? Were there things you had to kind of teach them or expectations you had to set with the client? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, especially with a early AI video models, um, there are some unexpected elements in it, like the strange morphing or like um, weird creations, like, you know, fingers. Fingers and, and limbs are very typical anomaly that you see in AI art. And then you have to tell them. And then my client, some of them were quite uh, understanding. 
they accept it as part of AI, so they really look forward to it. Well, other clients, um, I have gotten comments like, oh, that's so weird. Can you make the two eyes of this woman blink the same? Uh, why is, what's wrong with the, with the left eye? Something like that. So they, they kind of have a sense that they want an AI video, but they don't necessarily know what an AI video means or what kinds of artifacts are typical in AI videos, it sounds like. Yes, yes, that's right. So I do have to explain to them and then, uh, yeah, <laughs> they're quite open so far. If there were no limitations on the capabilities of AI tools, what kind of projects would you be undertaking? Wow. I think I'll probably be making full-length movies by now, if it's unlimited, and uh, follow specifically what I want. Well, I would imagine that that's not a future too far from now. Um, maybe one day you get a device where you just plug your brain into the computer. You get straight visuals. Well, Elon Musk's company Neuralink just implanted its first chip in a human brain for wow. human trials. So you never know, it could it could happen one day. Yeah. Do you have like a a plot, an idea of what you would make a, a full-length AI film about? Is it is it also the Antiverse or do you have other ideas? Yeah, for sure. Because for the past year, I've been building the bones of this world. So now I think I'm ready to start filling it with stories and narratives. Yeah, I've tried to do that for my past few videos, actually. Like, we are good and a nail spa. <laughs> would, would, the, would the film be like a comedy or a drama or horror? <laughs> well, um, maybe think about it as a TV series. So I'll have like short episodes. So yes, they will cover a wide range of subjects. It could be all of the above, comedy and, and drama and horror, maybe, and mystery. It could be anything. Just not like to limit myself. Mm. Nice. Right. Well, I, I hope that happens someday and I'll, uh, I'll definitely watch it. <laughs> How has your approach to AI art changed over the past year? Do you have new tools that you're using or new processes you've started to employ? Yeah, um, in the beginning, I used mainly uh, Midjourney. And then when AI video came out, I used Runway and Pika Labs. And then in the past six months, I have been using DALI 3 a lot because it adheres to the prompt very much so. And there's a limit to the amount of words you can put in. So it, it forces you to be very succinct in your uh, prompting. And then... Um, there's a tool called Magnific.ai, which is incredible. It's like a magic upscaler. So I use that to improve the quality of my image. Yeah, Magnific is pretty incredible. I've seen online people upload pixelated still images from 1990 video games like Tomb Raider. And Magnific will upscale them to fully rendered, high-definition characters. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. I found in my experience that DALI 3 is better at adhering to prompts when there is uh, text in the image. So for example, if you want an AI-generated image with a newspaper headline or something like that, DALI 3 seems to do a better job than Midjourney. Is that your experience as well? Yes and no. Yes, you're right. Like DALI could do very good texts and you need to reroll it a lot. And um, recently with Midjourney version 6, they have incorporated text generations. I have not personally tried it, but many of my friends did and it looked pretty good. 
So let's go try it after this call. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to give it a try. You mentioned earlier that sometimes in your Instagram comments, traditional artists and even non-artists will get defensive about AI art. Some people consider it stealing, right? Because artists' work is used to train AI models, oftentimes without their consent. What's your point of view on that? You know, this is like、um, such a big question because if you work in the creative industry, you would know that. For every single art project or creation process, we look for inspiration, and they can come from anywhere. And people constantly look at reference images from the internet, right? So we are influenced by everything that has come before us. And from what I understand about the music industry, they also do sampling and、uh, video creation as well. People take footage that has been made before. To create their own new video, so would you call that stealing? You know what I mean? It's something that everybody does already. And collage, the act of collage, is taking existing images, photos from newspapers, magazines that are copyrights of other people, right? But you're putting it together in a new way, and that became that became your art. So, that, do you call that stealing? I have not heard that kind of conversation before until AI happened. So. I actually think that,、um, firstly,、um, is a process that allows you to stand on the shoulder of giants. We have never been so connected before, you know. With this data that's already there, it's just faster access, more efficient access to these data sets, and you're using it to create things in a more efficient manner. So why is it stealing if it's already an existing behavior? Right, but how would you feel if someone used your work to train an AI model? As you said earlier, you've produced tens of thousands of images and videos. Now, not all of them have been made public, but at this point, you you do still have quite a volume of work that can be scraped that's online. An individual or a company could create the Antiverse text-to-image tool that's specifically in your style, and then instead of having to spend Thirty hours on a video. Any person could just come, and they could type in a prompt, and they could get a video or an image in seconds in your specific antiverse style. Wouldn't that bother you? Because that's basically analogous to what many traditional artists and non-artists are objecting to with these、uh, AI tools and how they were trained. Well, it is inevitable, isn't it? When your work is good, people will copy it. I think that's that's okay. And then I would like to. Quote、um, Rick Rubin at this point. I heard a podcast of his recently, and I I felt like it's very on point. He was asked about AI art as well, and he said he doesn't know much about it, but he understands about these huge data sets. But it's not really about the data, but more about the artist's perspective. So for your work to stand out as an artist, and for you to have your own identity, you need to have your own unique perspective on things. That that's how you know you can differentiate yourself from other people. So you, we all have access to the same、um, resources, but your ideas and concepts can easily you know be different to other people. So yeah, people can copy me or whatever I'm doing or what other people are doing, but do they have their own opinions? You can sort of look at their. Accounts to get an idea, right? Are they sort of going all over the place, or do they have a consistent narrative? Yeah, that's an interesting point of view. Do you think more traditional artists should be experimenting with AI tools since it's a kind of new technology? 
Well, I think that all creative people should be open to all possibilities and all mediums. So why why not try it、um, before deciding that it's bad and you don't like it? I mean, I think I wouldn't say no to anything. You know, being an artist. Have you had any conversations with traditional artists about this topic?、Mm, no, not really. But I've had um, positive um, affirmations from traditional artists about my work, not because of the medium, but because of the content that comes through. Yeah, what do you think? You know, I have mixed feelings. I mean, as an artist, it must feel like your life's work is basically being used against you. Your artistic output is gathered. Without your consent, and it's used to train AI models that can do in I don't know, you know, seconds what you you spent basically your entire life learning how to do, and that can't seem fair to traditional artists. And many artists may be put out of work because of these AI tools. So basically, their work is kind of being used against them in a sense. On the other hand, I'm generally quite pro innovation. Text to image tools and large language models are. Truly incredible, and I think they can unlock an、uh, immense amount of creativity and productivity across the world. And I find AI art in particular to be almost like a new medium. The way that AI art tools generate these strange artifacts we were talking about, and they create these kind of morphing effects—it's a kind of visual imagery I haven't seen before. And I find your work and the work of others who employ AI tools to be genuinely beautiful. Thank you, thank you. Well, I suppose it's the same with everything in life, right? I mean, things are going to keep moving forward, and some things are inevitable. So,、um, what do we do about it? That's every like life attitude, I suppose. We're almost out of time. Tell us about your upcoming plans. Will you continue to make AI videos and still images about the Antiverse? And do you have any other plans、uh, upcoming for your art? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm going to continue making AI videos. Um, stills, not so much. Even though making stills is part of my AI video creation process, um, but probably will not publish them as much. And then I, I'm going to have a physical solo show in Berlin in in April, end of April during Gallery Week. So really looking forward to that. And um, also lots of things coming up in the physical world and. Hoping to manifest some of my ideas in other art forms, so that's very exciting. You mentioned earlier that you have a day job working in the architecture industry. Are you going to continue to work in that capacity, or are you planning on trying to move full time into AI art and invest your time there? Ah,、uh, well, I would like to think of myself as a multidisciplinary artist. So yeah, I I'm still gonna be involved in architecture. And my time is pretty flexible,、um, so yeah, we just go with the flow. But definitely, a lot of energy will be placed in、uh, art and AI art. Yeah. What a life! That sounds fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Really exciting. <laughs> well, nice aunties. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, James. It's been a pleasure. 